please turn in your Bibles to 1 John. I'd like to speak to you on this passage of 1 John 5, verses 13 through 15. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. The Word of God reads, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray again. Father, we approach your throne of grace and of mercy with gratitude for the ability to be here, gathered with your people, as some of our brothers and sisters and friends are away camping. We pray traveling mercies and protection upon them and their children. And now as we give ourselves to the reading and preaching of the word and exposition from the word, we pray that your Holy Spirit may be with us and that we may profit from it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Sometimes the greatest and most complicated things are the simplest. If you've had the joy of being at a birthday party and untying a balloon and letting it go, and it's a thrill and a lot of fun, well, you have discovered or have observed what moves a rocket or a missile through space. That rapid discharge of a fluid creates propulsion and the rocket moves. So now you have the fundamentals of rocket science. Whenever we're doing something difficult or simple, we say, hey, this is not rocket science. Well, if you untie a balloon and let it run, that's rocket science. In Christian doctrine, it happens the same. The most complicated thing about God's redemptive plan it's something that even our daughter Sarah can articulate. At home, we ask Sarah, who is the Savior? And she says, Jesus. And we ask her, and, and what did Jesus do? And, and in monosyllables, of course, it's not that she articulates it. He, he died on the cross. Why? For our sins. So even Sarah, who's been attending Cornerstone 31 years, her entire life, can get what we say every Sunday. Some people don't like it that we're so superficial, only saying the gospel every week. Well, that's what the deal is about. Bible is written about Jesus, and what we need to know and be reminded of is that simplicity of the gospel. So even in doctrine, the simplest thing can be articulated by a child. In Christian practice, it is no different. What is the simplest thing we can do and must do? Pray. When Ananiah, that disciple, was sent to get Paul and baptize him and bring him to the community of believers, Jesus told Ananias what was Paul doing. 
and what was the evidence of Paul having come to faith. He told Ananias, go to the street, to the straight street, and inquire, and you'll find Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he prayeth. <laughs> how do I know? <laughs> he prays. That's how you will distinguish that Saul, the persecutor, has become a believer. Prayer. The gospel is the premise of prayer. God, God's character, his attributes are the encouragement to prayer. And the answer to prayer, according to that text, is guaranteed. What could be simpler in the Christian life? It is based on the premise of the gospel. God himself is the one who encourages us to pray and to pray in hope. And the answer to our praying is guaranteed. Let's start with that premise of prayer in verse 13. John identifies his audience. And he identifies his audience as believers. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know, because you believe, that you have eternal life. Actually, he had already stated that in his gospel at the end. The purpose for which I write is that you may know Christ and believe in him. And by believing in him, you may not only have eternal life, but it's interesting that he says that you may know that you have eternal life. The assurance of faith. And it's interesting because some true Christians do not have assurance in their faith. Some true Christians doubt. Even the Pilgrim's Progress shows that. Some are hopeful. Others doubt. And even Christian crossing the river at the end doubted. And his friend Hopeful was there encouraging him. Because assurance is not of the essence of faith. We have to understand that. You can have true faith. And be saved, but not have assurance for a number of reasons. Now, assurance is not essential to salvation, but it is necessary and useful to walk in hope and to walk in faith. You don't have to be assured of your husband's love, but if he loves you and you know it, marriage is easier. You're not in doubt all the time. Well, John establishes that premise to pray. I'm writing to you who know the Son of God and who believe in the Son of God that you know that you are saved. And in that context, then he speaks about prayer. Now, before I go into verse 14, I, I want to say something. God hears every prayer, whether you are saved or not. And I want to debunk a text that is very wrongly used. John 9, 31. I don't know how many of us have not told people, oh, don't pray. If you're not a Christian, don't pray because God does not hear sinners. Have you said that? I've said it before. God does not hear sinners, so you shouldn't pray. Well, the blind man is talking about Jesus being the one who opened his eyes and Jesus being the one who 
appeared to be Messiah because he was doing those things that the prophet said Messiah would do. And as the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of being a sinner, the blind man says, how could he be a sinner doing the things he does? Because we know that God does not hear sinners. That is the context. The context is not telling your grandma or your friend at work or the people you know, well, you shouldn't pray because God doesn't listen to you. You're a sinner. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, in Psalm 65, God is called to be the one who hears prayer. Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. And the psalmist even says, Oh, God of our salvation, you are the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. I think I told you that, that story not too long ago that, that I was in this mosque and this person was praying to Allah in the mosque. And I just stood behind him and I, and I asked the Lord, Lord, he's praying to you. He, he has a false religion. He has a false belief. But he is addressing God. Please have mercy on him and open his eyes to see Christ and to hear the gospel and to come to you truly through your son, the Lord. And I pray that to God, persuaded that this man is there pouring himself to Allah, the only idea he has of God, which is a wrong one, by the way. But this is what the psalmist says. Every people in every place, everywhere, they have this ingrained almost by birth, this mark of breathing out and asking and hoping in God. Well, may the Lord bring them to the true knowledge of God through Christ. But our text in 1 John is not talking about the general prayer of a human being longing and pleading with God. No, the, our text in 1 John is addressed in the context of a filial and covenant relationship with God. John is assuming that he is talking to believers and those believers will pray our Father who are in heaven and they can call God our Father not by creation but by adoption, by redemption. We have been adopted into God's family, says Paul in Ephesians 1. In Galatians 3, he says, The Spirit of God, now that we're adopted, makes us cry, Abba, Father, because we now are in this filial, family, covenantal, personal, intimate relationship with God. And we are heirs and fellow heirs with Christ through the gospel. And that is the context of 1 John 14 and 15, when he talks about prayer. We, we have to admit it. He's saying, I'm writing to you who know who Jesus Christ is, and by knowing who he is, you know and may know that you have eternal life. Now, secondly, when it comes to prayer, God, God's character, God's attributes are our encouragement to pray. Sometimes we say, well, why pray? <laughs> because the, who God is invites us to pray. Don't you know people that are kind of inviting? 
that you like to visit them, you like to talk to them, you like to hang out with them, because they are, they are inviting. You like to ask them question because they, questions because they are smart. Whatever it is, well, God's character and His attributes as revealed in Scripture invite us to pray, encourage us to pray. Verse 14 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Please stop there. He hears us. Sometimes prayer and praying becomes like this ritual. For example, our daughter Sarah, when she's eating with Maria Luisa alone, she sees the meal, let's eat. But when the mad dog is around and that's me, she looks at me like, we have to pray, right? Even Simba. When you put, give the food to Simba, the dog, he eats. When I'm around, he looks at me like, aren't you come to pray with me? Yes, because I pray with Simba too. <laughs> so yes, I'm, I'm crazy. The, the point is that prayer may become this exercise in ritualism and futility in just going through the motions. Or prayer should be. I am coming before and inviting God because I am in Christ. And that's what I'm saying. The context is the gospel. The premise is we already have a filial relationship through Christ. And I am coming to my Father who invites me to walk into his office and talk to him and ask him. That's why John says he hears us. It's not just a going through the motion. Thank you, Father, for this meal. Haven't you done that at night? You're going to sleep. You're supposed to pray, keep me during my sleep. If I die, may I encounter my Savior. But you're saying, thank you for this meal, oh God. And you're, there's no meal. You're just going through the motions or sometimes in the morning. Many times we've, we've prayed for meals in the morning instead of saying, thank you, Lord, that I opened my eyes. It happens. It happens, and sometimes you're praying, and you're saying things, and all of a sudden, whatever seconds or minutes later, you say, where on planet Earth was I? Your mind goes away, right? And you have to go back and, and reel back, oh, Father, forgive me, I got distracted. Well, here's the deal. Before we pray, if we just take time to remember that John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears. He's listening. God's attributes and character encourage us to pray. God is omnipresent. And that's actually one of the arguments we use as to why you don't pray to anyone else. Because if you pray to a saint, well, what happens if... If somebody in Cuba, in the Dominican Republic, in Chile, in Argentina, and Bolivia at the same time are asking St. Judas to give something to them. Well, St. Judas or St. Jude cannot be omnipresent. So which one does he choose? That's why you don't pray to anyone, dead or alive. You pray to the one who is at all times, with all of who he is, with all of his attributes, present everywhere, Always, at any time. And that only is God. In Him, we move and we exist. 
and we have our being, says Acts 17, 29, 28. Paul speaking to the Athenians. All of what we are, all of what we think, wherever we move, we don't enter the presence of God. We are always in the presence of God. Always. Because God is omnipresent. In poetic language, Psalm 139 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I hide from you? Where can I go to a place that you're not there? If I go to the mountains, you're there. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I go to the ends of the earth, you're there. If I go to the bottom of the ocean, you're there. Wherever we move, God is with everything He is. In theology, we make this distinction. It is not that God is immense. What does it mean to be immense? That you're so big and vast and large that you cover everything. We are breathing oxygen because the atmosphere has this percentage of oxygen that wherever we are on earth, we breathe. Yeah, but the oxygen I'm breathing is not the one my wife is breathing or you are breathing. It's, a diff it's different molecules of oxygen. It's just that oxygen is spread out. But when we talk about God <laughs> and Him being present everywhere, it's not that a portion of God is here and another part of God is there. It's that all of God, all of who He is, with all of His being and might and presence and essence, is everywhere at all times at the same time. And that is a great encouragement to pray. Because wherever we move or go, there is He. And God is also omniscient, which means He knows what is, what happened, what was, what will be, but He also knows what would have been and what could have been. And that is fascinating to me. God's knowledge is all-encompassing and all-surrounding not just of the things that happen or could happen, open theology. Oh, well, God is really not sovereign because he has to wait on the action of human beings to see the outcome. No, no, no. He knows what happened, what will happen, what would have happened, and what's happening, and what could have happened. He knows every alternative, every contingency, whatever is to be known God knows it inexhaustibly and infinitely. One of the things that has been, and to, the, to this day is a great disappointment to me, is that when I was little, I got good grades in, in high school and in school in general, very good grades. I would get a B plus and I would cry because that was a bad grade. Then when I moved through college and university, I noticed that my grades were not as high because things were more complicated. And then I started working, and I, I think I still was pretty good, but I started to notice that the people that surrounded me were really, really smart. And then I came into Camacho, and I was in this division, and okay, I was doing okay, but then they moved me to another one, and everybody seems to be smarter. And to this day, it's like, I'm the dumbest in the crowd. You have this sense of, yeah, you've, I've learned a lot in 33 years, but there's so little that I know. Whenever I read something, always something new to learn. That doesn't happen with God. He knows 
everything that needs to be known to the extent that it can be known inexhaustibly and infinitely. And he knows every possible contingency, possibility, or alternative. And that is a wonderful consolation when the people of Kayla were delivered by David from the Philistines. David asked the Lord, Saul is looking for me. Do you think they will deliver me to Saul? And the Lord says, yes, they will. So David fled and he was spared. God knew what would have happened. It did happen. When Jesus pronounced the woes to Capernaum and to Chorazin and to Bethsaida, he said to them, if in Sodom and Gomorrah, the miracles and the preaching that have been done here would have been made, they would have repented in ashes and sackcloth. Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented if Jesus would have preached to them and done miracles in them. But God chose not to send Jesus at that time. God knows what could have happened and what would have happened. In the language of Psalm 139.4, even before a word is in my tongue, Lord, you know it all. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, why do you become anxious? Why do you worry? Your Father knows what you have need of. He knows. He knows the things you fear. He knows the things that make you anxious. He knows the things you are in real dire need of, and He knows those things you want but you really don't need. Don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is the whole point of God's character inviting us to pray. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He knows what could have been. He's almighty and He's sovereign. He does whatever He pleases. That is the consolation of prayer. That even if He says no, He said no, and He could have said yes, but He knew that that yes would have been a problem for me. And to avoid what could have been, He answers because He hears what is best. Because He's omniscient and He's all wise. And infinitely wise. And thirdly, all of who God is, all of what God is, all of God is for us because of Christ. You hatch me, says Psalm 139.5. You hatch me behind and before, and you lay hand upon me. The imagery of that text is, first of all, God surrounding you and then putting his hand on your shoulder, walking with you. Whenever I hold any of my grandchildren, I make sure that I grab them I, and I use my left hand. I'm supposedly right-handed, but my strong arm is the left one. And I use my entire left arm, cover them, and leave this one to protect them. And I'm walking with them, and I'm just, just waiting to fall down, and I would put my arm to make sure that I could turn and not harm, harm them. Because your thought is just concentrated on surrounding that little child that nothing happens to them. Well, when David is writing this poem, he says, you surround me. You hem me. Lynn, you hem. You hem me like a piece of cloth all over. And you protect me. And even as Zion, he surrounded my mountains. 
So the Lord surrounds and hedges and covers and hovers those who fear him. Psalmist says in Psalm 23, 6, Goodness and mercy will chase me all the days of my life. I don't know if I've told you the story of this pastor I met many years ago, and he came from a rough life. He was a drug dealer. I mean, he was in a real bad world. When he came to the Lord, the Lord rescued him, called to the ministry, and he was serving in the church. And one day we're, we're walking around his house and says, Hey, Mike, you never jog? And he looked at me and said, My brother, I need motivation to jog. He says, What do you mean? I need some blue lights and police officers chasing me for me to run. I cannot run without purpose. Well, here's the psalmist saying, Mercy and goodness chase me. Like a police officer chasing me if I committed a crime. God has disposed to chase me with mercy and with goodness. And that favor is unilateral. Most of us have read about George Mueller in his great faith. And we admire Mueller's faith. But it is not Mueller's faith that secures God's favor and are being heard and answered in prayer. It is that Christ has secured God's favor, and God's ear to his own. Because of Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. Because of Christ, when we pray, he surrounds us and he hears us and answers according to his will. And then the guarantee of the answer, the answer to prayer is precisely what verse 15 says. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. But the secret is to pray according to God's will. Now, what is God's will? There are two sides to God's will. We know that. God's secret will and God's revealed will. One verse that expresses that is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. Those that have been revealed are for us and for our children. So there's this side of God's will being secret, the secret counsel of the Lord, the secret decree of the Lord, and those things that we know he wills and he wishes because he has expressed what he wants. And even as Paul says, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And he spells out what it is. In Acts 1, 7, when Jesus was being taken to heaven, the disciples said, will you restore the kingdom to Israel now? And Jesus said, that's not for you to know. It belongs to God's secret will. So stop trying to figure out what's the end of the world. That belongs to God, not to us. What belongs to us is to be sober and cautious and be on the alert because we don't know when it can happen. Who are the elect? Oh, you've come across Reformed theology. Who are the elect? You want to know who are the elect? I'll tell you. Those who hear the word of God and believe, those are the elect. Somebody hears the gospel, believe it, come to Jesus, that person is an elect. Go therefore preach the gospel. 
don't sit down there saying who is and who is, will, who is not. Let me find the marks and characteristics of those who are perhaps secretly awakened of the prepared sinner. There's no such thing in the Bible. Just go preach. And if they believe, the Lord added those who are being saved. But the method to add them and to discover them is preaching the gospel. That's the method, the Great Commission. Should I take option A or option B? I'm buying a car, buying a house, considering two jobs, deciding what to study. What should I do? I don't know. What is God's will? You will only know God's will in providence. The secret will of God is revealed in history. Whatever happened, well, that's God's will. He's sovereign. Now, in the meantime, decide following principles. If to buy the house you like, you have to become indebted and become irresponsible with the rest of your duties, then that's not the house God wants for you. Because the revealed will of God says, the blessing of the Lord is the one that makes rich, but he has no pains with it. I always tell people that. Whatever decision you're going to take, if when you take it, it's going to be painful, it's going to be a crisis in your family, that's not God's will. Because when he gives, it's going to be painless. It's going to be full of joy and of peace. Now, some people are always lurking and seeking for God's secret will. Hearing the voice in their heart. Finding in some dream what is God's will. Speaking angelic tongues. But they cannot control their tongue in English. At the point, oh, how can I speak in tongues? Speak the one you speak and open it for the gospel. And open it for the glory of God. And when it's time to just lash out, reel it back. And don't let your tongue become a fountain of sour water and sweet water at the same time. That's the whole point of it. So how can I pray God's will if I do not know it? Jesus gave us the trick. If God will answer the things we pray according to his will, how do I know how to pray and always get a yes? Pray according to the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. You can always apply the Lord's Prayer to any request. Before praying for healing... Pray for God's name to be magnified and to be exalted and to be known and to be recognized in that illness. And if he wills to heal, that that also may happen. And if he chooses not to heal, that it also may bring glory to the name of God. Pray always for the kingdom of God. We live in a fallen world. We desire new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore pray according to that, Lord, may your kingdom come. Release us from the curse of sin. In the meantime, bless the preaching of the gospel, which is the next best. Bring people into your kingdom through Christ. And may your will be done. How? As it is done in heaven. How is the will of God done in heaven by the angels? Swiftly, joyfully, promptly, without questioning, without hesitation, without delay. 
And yes, we have needs. Give us our daily bread. We're not disembodied spirits. Give us our daily bread. Give us the things we need. I need to pay bills. I have issues. I have problems at work or problems at whatever with my landlord or problems with my car. And I need my car to transport me from A to B. Whatever it is. Lord, give us our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. Bring the gospel always praying. Forgive us our debts because we're sinners. And I cannot forgive some people, but I can ask you to forgive them. So if your father was really harsh and hard to you and really left you marked and broken and traumatized, you can say, I, I cannot get rid of the pain. But Lord, forgive him if he's alive. Have mercy on him, whomever it is who harmed you. An ex-wife, an ex-husband, whomever it is. I cannot get rid of the pain, but Lord, I pray blessings upon them. When you pray blessings upon people who have harmed you, two things happen. You change, and maybe they change too. And then those emotional needs. Deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. Prayer I frequently ask, Lord, do not let my evil, sinful passions meet temptation at the same corner at that corner with a four-way stop or that corner with a traffic light but then there's this super fast highway that meet and there's no overpass and cars come barreling at 200 miles an hour my sinful passions and temptation lord when my sinful passions are running wild let, they, let them find no temptation. Sometimes we try to play with that, don't we? We're single. We try to play with God and with life from the wrong places. Or we're married. And we try to fool around on the wrong places. If I'm serious about sin, and I'm serious about asking God, lead me not into temptation... I will be serious about that highway of temptation where my sinful passions may be met. It is that simple. Prayer also brings this element of corporate identification. Do you notice that the Lord's Prayer is about we and our and us? Not I, me, and mine. Our Father, give us Lead us not. Forgive us. Why? Because we're not alone. Secret. Nothing wrong with I songs. Because many of the Psalms have that expression of I. But when we sing even in the I songs, let us remember that there are many I's here that make us a we. We're not alone. We have to have this sense of corporate identity Jesus put us in a body God put us in a conglomerate of his people we are called a holy nation people acquired by God not a holy being we are a nation we are part of a community and of a gathering we're in this together even in our praying we have to have that sense of community 
And prayer is to the soul what breathing is to a body if we're alive. I don't know how to say this without being harsh or mean or reeling anyone into a guilt trip. But I'll say it. If prayer for you is a duty, the duty of prayer, check yourself. Because I don't have to have a, the duty to breathe. I breathe and I don't even realize I'm breathing. When I'm, when I'm hungry, I really start shouting, woman, woman, I'm hungry, where's the meal? <laughs> we work together at home, so poor lady, when it's approaching the time to eat and she's still busy, I start screaming from the distance, I'm hungry, I'm going to die. Not true, but it comes natural. Well, praying is the same. We pray because we're alive. We pray because how can I not pray? How can I not pray before sending, before clicking send to that important email? How can I not pray before entering this important meeting? Oh, it's on Teams and I'm wearing shorts and just a jacket. It doesn't matter. It's an important meeting. I'm going to pray. How can I not pray before waking or at waking, not going to sleep, coming in, coming out, before anything I do? Some people say, why do you pray for your meals? Dude, I pray for everything. Because without God, we cannot do anything. All it takes is a, it's a little minuscule bubble of air to go through one of these veins, goes into the brain, blop. And that's it. I'm done. And you too. If it happens to you. We pray for everything. It's our breathing. No prescription for posture, kneeling, standing, sitting, in bed, walking, jogging, however, whatever. Pray without ceasing. And if you pray without ceasing, you're praying all the time. Eyes closed, eyes opened. That's your game. That's you. Many times I'm talking to a person and they are telling me things and I'm with my wife, eyes wide open. Lord, I have no idea what to say Please give me light, give me wisdom. And there's a person talking to me and pouring on me, and all I'm doing is praying, Lord, please. And if I have to keep, shut, to keep my mouth shut, please keep it, keep it closed. Sometimes it's better not to say anything. Pray at all times and pray always. Bring in all your requests before God. Anxious, bring the anxiety. Afraid, bring the fear. God knows that there are some prayers that I always bring them, and they are the same, the same, the same. The same fear since I was four years old. And I'm a 60-year-old dude, and I'm still afraid, and I come to him. Lord, please, please, at all times, bring every anxiety, every anxious thought, every fear. Bring it. You bring it in Christ. He hears us. And argue with God. Learn to argue with God the right way, using his word. I love the Phoenician woman. Woman, I'm not sent only to the children of Israel. And yes, Lord, but help me. My, my, my daughter has a demon. Well, it's not right to take the food from children, bread from children, and throw it to the dogs. Wow. That's enough to leave church and leave Christianity. At least for me. She says, yes, Lord, it is true. 
But guess what? The little dogs eat out of the crumbs that fall off the table. Throw me the crumb and I'll take it. Pray. Jacob with the angel of the Lord. All night fighting. That's an amazing passage. I know it has a spiritual significance. But it's all night. Jacob fighting with God. And at dawn, the angel has to move his hip. I don't know if he gave him a kick or, well, he touched him with a staff and, and unlock his hip. But the Lord said to Jacob, no longer Jacob. You're no longer the supplanter, the wise gizzard, the slick, slimy dude. Now you're Israel. Now you are in the covenant. Now the families of earth will be blessed through your descendants. Now Messiah will come through you because you struggled, you fought with God, and you won. You won? He won. He got his blessing. Pray. Don't stop. And I finish with Luke 18. And I'm just going to read it. Parable of the unrighteous judge. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not become discouraged. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect any person. Now there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or respect any person, yet because this widow is bothering me, I will give her justice. Otherwise, by continually coming to me, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Listen! Listen to what the unrighteous judge said. Now will God not bring about justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night and will he delay long for them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, bless your word and use it according to the need of every person here. May you be pleased to move us to pray, trusting you, encouraged by who you are, to bring great petitions before the great King, knowing that because of Christ, you hear us. In his name we ask. Amen.